Another treasure that we have is the Word of God. Would you take your Bible and stand as we read from the passage that Pastor Bruce will be preaching? Matthew 25, Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy... The bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Let's pray. Father, we come and uh, these are sobering words. They're a warning from your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that your Spirit would open our eyes to see the truth in this passage as our pastor preaches it. I pray that you would open our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. I pray, Lord, you would open our heart to submit to what you have for us. Lord, may we all be ready when you come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we're continuing in our series, Living in the Last Days. It's a series on the second coming of Jesus Christ. We've been going through Matthew chapter 24, and now we're beginning Matthew chapter 25 today. Next Sunday, we'll continue in chapter 25, and then on Memorial Day weekend, we'll conclude this whole series with the end of the verses there in Matthew 25, and then we'll head into a new summer series. In fact, I think we're going to be doing the, uh, the person of Samson during the summer. So I invite you to you know, be a part of our summer series as we study Samson. But this morning, I want to talk to you about this parable, this story that Jesus tells us. It's a wedding story. Over the years as pastor here, I've had several opportunities to marry uh, a lot of different couples, be a part of several different weddings. In fact, the very first wedding I ever performed right here in our church was Zach and Sarah's wedding. I still remember that like it was yesterday, Zach and Sarah, and I believe it was back in 2004. Is that correct? You guys are good to know your anniversary. Yeah, and, uh, and I had the opportunity to marry John and Jessica Mag, and I uh, still remember that. They had theirs outside, and that was very unique, and down at Longview Lake, 
And then my last wedding was Laura and her husband, Scott. And the uh, reason I point them out because they were part of my youth group. And uh, it's always a privilege when you marry kids that come out of your youth group. And, uh, but weddings are a joyous time, aren't they? They're a, a time of celebration. Uh, weddings are a time when a man and a woman come together in front of their family, their friends, and even in front of God himself, and they express their marriage commitment to one another, their covenant love for one another. And uh, it's a great thing. And although each wedding is special, each wedding is unique in and of themselves, listen, they all have one thing in common. I've done several weddings, and every single one of them have the same thing in common, and that is the focus is on whom? The bride. The focus is always on the bride. Guys, we get a bum rap, don't we? In fact, I think the groom could stand up here butt naked and nobody would even notice. (laughs) Because the focus is on the bride all the time. It's just the way it is. When people come to a wedding, they want to see one person and one person only. The bride walking down that aisle in her wedding dress. After all, this is the day that she's been dreaming about since she was a little girl. And that's why she spends hours and spends all that money on a wedding dress. She knows all eyes will be on her when here comes the bride is played. The wedding march and everybody stands and everybody then turns and watches the bride. Now, as we continue in this series, Jesus tells a wedding story to illustrate a key truth about His coming, about His return. But what is really fascinating about this wedding story is the focus is on the groom and on the bridesmaids. In fact, the bride isn't even mentioned in this wedding story. So instead of playing, here comes the bride, they're playing, here comes the groom which is really a picture of what will happen when Jesus, the bridegroom, comes again. Let me tell you, as we saw in Matthew chapter 24, when Jesus returns, all eyes will be on Jesus, the groom, when he comes on the clouds with power and great glory. Now, as we've seen, Jesus tells two stories, back to back. He tells the parable of the two servants, you may remember last Sunday, at the very end of Matthew 24. And then he now tells this story, this parable of the ten virgins or the ten bridesmaids at the beginning of Matthew 25. Now these two parables make an interesting contrast and yet they have complementary lessons. I want you to see them off the bat here, notice it. The parable of the two servants teaches us to be prepared for Christ in case He comes sooner than we think. Now Jesus, as we progress to Matthew 25, and He begins to tell this wedding story, it teaches us to be prepared for Christ in case He comes later than we think. Now, One story is about if he comes sooner. The other story that we'll look at today is about if he comes later. Let me tell you, both attitudes are absolutely essential when it comes to the hope in the second coming of Jesus Christ. Whether Jesus comes sooner or whether he comes later, the emphasis is the same. Jesus is making the same point, and the point is, you better be prepared. You better be ready. Why? Because here comes the bridegroom. 
He may come sooner than we think, or He may come later than we think. Either way, we must be prepared while watching and waiting for Jesus Christ to return. Now, out of this story today, this masterpiece of a story that Jesus tells, I want to draw for us just two simple truths. Two applicational truths. And then at the end of the story, we'll draw some lessons, some eternal lessons for some churchgoers like us in the 21st century. So here's the first truth from the wedding story of Here Comes the Groom. The first truth is get ready. You better get ready because Jesus is coming. Get ready. Jesus is coming. What we have in the parable of the ten virgins, or you can call them bridesmaids, is a nightmare or a nighttime wedding celebration where everything seems to go wrong, where it turns into a nightmare. The groom shows up so late that the bridal party falls asleep. When the groom finally arrives, half the bridesmaids have forgotten to bring enough oil for their lamps, and they end up standing outside of the door banned from the wedding banquet. Now, can you imagine a more disastrous wedding? What should have been a most, most joyous occasion for everyone involved turns into a nightmare for some of those involved. Other than that, it was a perfectly normal wedding. Now, in order to catch the full impact of the story Jesus tells, we need to know just a few things about the first century Jewish wedding customs. In those days, you got married in several stages. But I want to highlight just the three, three stages for us, or the three main stages. And first stage is there was what was called this legal engagement, which was usually arranged by the parents and sealed with the payment of the bridal price. And then the second stage was this betrothal period, which was normally launched by a public ceremony, much like our wedding ceremonies today, normally done at the bride's home, where vows are exchanged between the bride and the groom. In fact, during this betrothal period, the marriage was fully binding and could be dissolved only by a divorce. And also during this time, the groom would prepare a place for he and his bride to live. And then you come to the third stage, which was the wedding banquet or the wedding celebration. This banquet or celebration could take place up to a year later from the betrothal and the wedding vows. Usually it was held in the evening time. And usually, it would take place at the groom's home. This third stage is what we see in this wedding story. The bridegroom is coming to get his bride for the wedding celebration, for the party, the banquet. And in the first century, let me tell you, a wedding banquet was a major social event that everyone in town wanted to attend. And in certain cases, this banquet could last up to seven days. So it was a very elaborate affair that could cost, well, a lot of money. So it was time, or when it was time for the banquet, the groom would leave where he was. And sometimes he would even come with his groomsmen, his party, and he would go through the city to the bride's house where she waited there with her bridesmaids. The groom would then take his bride, and together they would walk through the city to the groom's home with the bridesmaids lighting the way with their torches, proclaiming to everyone that the feast, the party, is about to begin. Now, one important detail that we need to take note of 
is that the groom's arrival to the bride's house was a ceremonial event in and of itself. The bridesmaids would wait for the groom's arrival so that they could come out to welcome him to the house. And it was a major, major breach of etiquette not to be ready when he came. But there's only one problem. You never knew the precise time when the groom was going to arrive at the bride's home. Especially if he was coming from a far distance. So the waiting for the bridegroom could be a drawn out affair. And that's the background to this wedding story. Now what I want us to do, I want to highlight kind of the sequence of events as Jesus tells this story in the parable of the ten virgins or bridesmaids. So let's look at it here quickly. First of all, number one, ten bridesmaids are invited to a wedding banquet. That's what we have here. And the bridesmaids represent, if we could say it this way, professing Christians. Professing believers. That is, people who, they profess to know Jesus Christ. They profess to be believers. All ten are invited, which is why they are waiting with their lamps lit at the bride's house for the groom to arrive. You may be wondering, why are they called virgins? Well, they're called virgins because in those days, the tradition was you normally had young girls who had never been married as your bridesmaids. So ten bridesmaids are invited. The second thing we see is the bridegroom is coming, but he is delayed. The bridegroom is coming, but is delayed. You ask, well, why was the bridegroom so late? I mean, after all, he doesn't show up until midnight which is several hours after the wedding banquet would typically have been scheduled to begin. Well, it's interesting. The text doesn't tell us why he was late because the reason why he was late doesn't matter. But if the wedding was last month, then perhaps he was delayed when all the airports were shut down to the, due to the Icelandic volcano that shut down all the major airports in Europe. Perhaps he was coming from a far distance and weather and other circumstances hindered him from coming. Whatever the reason for his delay, he arrived later than anyone thought possible. And that's the emphasis to take away. Number three, we see that the bridesmaids get drowsy. Not only that, they fall asleep while waiting. The groom was so late in arriving that all these bridesmaids had already fallen asleep. They had assumed that they had to wait at least one more day for the groom to arrive. But the groom came at midnight, at a time they did not expect. Which brings us to number four. The bridesmaids relit their lamps when the bridegroom finally arrives. The sleeping bridesmaids are awakened by a shout at midnight. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. The bridesmaids got up to relight their lamps, which had gone out while they were sleeping. Five of the bridesmaids had brought extra oil so they could now relight their lamps. But the other five bridesmaids, well, they had no extra oil. So they desperately tried to borrow some from the other five. But those five said, no way. You go get your own. If we give you some of our oil, we may not have enough for any of us. So you go find some and you go buy your own oil. Listen, they were in a hopeless situation. So they did what you and I would do. They went to buy oil, hoping that the bridegroom would wait for them to return. But while they were gone, 
The bridegroom came and the bridesmaids who were ready went in with him to start the party. Which now brings us to number five. Half the bridesmaids are left out of the wedding banquet because they were too late. By the, other t- by the time the other five bridesmaids returned from buying oil, the door to the wedding banquet was already shut. Here is the sad end of the story. They pleaded, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But the bridegroom replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. These bridesmaids, let me tell you, they wanted to attend the party. But they missed it. And it was no one's fault but their own. That's the story Jesus tells us in Matthew 25. It's a little slice of life from a wedding that went haywire. Now the focus, as I said, of the story is on the coming bridegroom. And the readiness, the preparation of the bridesmaids. We're told that five of these bridesmaids were wise. And five of them were foolish. Five of them had extra oil that they brought with them. Five of them ran out. Five were ready. Five were not ready. Five entered the wedding banquet and five were shut out. All of this is meant to teach us a very important point. A principle, a lesson. It's meant to teach us that some people, let me tell you, they will be ready and others will not be ready. When Jesus, the bridegroom, returns to the earth. Now, I want us to take a closer look at these bridesmaids. Because taking a closer look reveals some fascinating truths about these bridesmaids. Notice this. It's in your notes. The bridesmaids were similar in many ways. But the one crucial difference was how prepared they were. One of the most striking facts about this story is how similar the ten bridesmaids appear on the surface. Let me just throw out some examples of this. All ten bridesmaids have been invited to the wedding banquet. All ten were waiting with their lamps for the bridegroom to arrive. All ten wanted to see the bridegroom. All ten wanted to go to the wedding banquet. All ten had some oil in their lamps at the beginning. All ten fell asleep while waiting for the bridegroom. All ten were awakened by the midnight cry. All ten got up to relight their lamps. All ten bridesmaids appeared to be equally prepared for the bridegroom's coming. Now that last statement is crucial. Let's suppose that we were to ask these ten bridesmaids to come up on this platform. And we would just line them up here. All ten of them. In no particular order. And I asked, could you pick out the five wise and the five foolish? I would suggest to you that you could not and neither could I. There was no way to tell in advance who was wise and who was foolish. Because all of them looked the same on the surface. And yet there was one vital difference. Something you couldn't see by casual observation because it wasn't a matter of dress. It wasn't a matter of appearance. And yet it made all the difference in the world for these bridesmaids. Five were wise and entered the wedding banquet. 
And yet Jesus tells us that five of them were foolish and they were left out altogether. So what made the difference? In one word, preparation. It was their preparation. And on that difference, the point of this story turns. Which brings us to our second truth. The first truth we see from this story is that Jesus is coming, so we better get ready. But the second truth that we see from this story is stay ready. We not only need to get ready, but we need to stay ready. Why? Because we don't know when Jesus is coming. You see, this wedding story... It pictures the folly, the foolishness. In fact, that word foolishness comes from the Greek word moros, M-O-R-O-S. You're already familiar with that word because our English word comes from that. English word what? Moron. Stupid. And so this wedding story pictures the folly the stupidity, the foolishness of not being prepared when the heavenly bridegroom delays his return. Half these bridesmaids were wise. Why? Because they figured out that the bridegroom, you know what? He just might be late in his arrival. So they brought extra oil for their lamps. Therefore, they were prepared when he finally showed up. But the other five bridesmaids were foolish because they gave no thought to the possibility that the bridegroom might be delayed. Therefore, they brought no extra oil with them. And consequently, man, they weren't ready. They weren't prepared when he suddenly arrived at midnight. Now, the natural tendency here is to feel sorry for these five foolish bridesmaids, is it not? Who doesn't feel sorry a little bit for them? Sure, but before we feel sorry for them, listen, please consider this with me. They knew the bridegroom was going to get married. They knew he would come to the wedding banquet. And they knew they needed oil for their lamps. You see, it was not a matter of a lack of information or even having the wrong information. All ten bridesmaids started with the same facts. The foolish bridesmaids had everything they needed to be prepared. There was no excuse. They had everything. And still they were not ready. And it was no one's fault but their own. You see, the point of the parable that Jesus is telling to us, we now bring application to you and I today. Notice it. Because we don't know when Jesus is coming. We must be prepared. We must prepare for a delay, but be ready today. You see, the whole point of this parable is so obvious. It screams to us loud and clear, Christ is coming. Christ is coming. 
He's the bridegroom and He is coming one day for His bride. And He may delay longer than we hope, longer than we expect. So we must prepare ourselves for a delay and yet be ready today at this moment if He should arrive. We must stay alert. Even if the hour seems late, even if he comes at midnight, because when he does arrive, let me tell you, there will be no further delays and there will be no second chances. And that's why Jesus concludes the whole story here with these words in verse 13 when he says, watch, watch, be alert, watch therefore, why? For you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Now let's kind of back up, let's stop for a moment, and let's ask two questions. The first question is this, if these bridesmaids, that is the five foolish ones, if they managed to go buy some oil after midnight, why were they then still not let in to the door, into the wedding banquet? After all, they had the oil now with them. I mean, why wouldn't they open the door? Why weren't they let in once they returned? And the answer is simple. They were too late. They were simply too late. No doubt their intentions were good. I believe that about these five bridesmaids. They had good intentions. After all, they wanted to be there. They wanted to be a part of the party. They wanted to be a part of the wedding party. They, they, they wanted to see the bridegroom. They wanted to enter in. Their intentions were good. But good intentions were not enough. Once the door was shut... It would not be opened again, no matter how long they stood outside the door, pounding on it, let us in, let us in, let us in. No matter how long they screamed, it was too late. The second question I want to ask and pose is this. Who do these bridesmaids represent? Well, the five wise bridesmaids who were prepared for the bridegroom represent true believers. They represent believers whose hearts have been truly changed by the power of the Holy Spirit because they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Whereas the five foolish bridesmaids represent, quote, professing believers, professing Christians who do not know, who do not truly know the Lord. In other words, their faith is superficial. Their faith is temporary. And consequently, they are not fully and really prepared to wait and watch for the Lord if it means being committed for the long haul. So the most important question then that we can ask out of this story this morning for you and I here is, are you ready? Are you staying ready? Or are you among the five Foolish bridesmaids who had received the invitation, they responded to it and had some sort of affection for the bridegroom, but who were not inwardly prepared to persevere to the end when the bridegroom came. Or are you among the five wise bridesmaids who, although they too had fallen asleep, let me tell you, were nevertheless ready?
You see, on that distinction, that distinction hangs the destiny of your soul. You see, from this wedding story, we can draw several important spiritual lessons. And as we think about these lessons, please understand that this wedding story is relevant for, quote, religious people. This wedding story is relevant for, quote, churchgoers in the 21st century. This story has eternal significance for people who claim some attachment to Jesus Christ, for people who who claim and who profess some allegiance to Jesus. So what lessons do we learn from this? Eternal lessons that impact our destiny for all eternity. Well, the first lesson, number one, is there's a destiny or there's a difference between going to church and being a true believer in Jesus Christ. There is a difference. One of the lessons of this story is to remind us that just because you go to church doesn't mean you are truly born again. Do you realize people go to church for all sorts of reasons? All sorts of reasons why people go to church across America and around the world. Some of those reasons are good and noble. And other times those reasons, well, they're not so good, not so noble. People go to church because of family ties. They may go to church because they want to see their friends. People may go to church to appease their guilt and shame throughout the week. A lot of parents go to church for the sake of their kids. Sometimes people go because they think they can gain favor with God if I'm in the church pew on Sunday morning. Listen, not all those reasons are necessarily bad in and of themselves, but any of those reasons or all of those reasons can be excuses that keep you from coming to Christ for salvation and consequently keep you shut out of heaven. Do you remember what Jesus told Nicodemus back in John chapter 3? Remember Nicodemus? He was this Pharisee. Let me tell you, he was a religious man. There wasn't anybody much more religious than he was. He was a good moral person. He claimed some attachment to God. He tried to live the right way, do the right things. And do you remember what Jesus told him? He was interested in entering the kingdom of God. And Jesus came to him. Well, actually, Nicodemus had questions and went to Jesus. And Jesus answered his question by saying, listen, Nicodemus, all those things you're doing, it's not good enough. It's not what allows you to enter through the door of heaven. Most assuredly, Jesus says, I say to you, unless one is what? Born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Think of it this way. Being baptized is good. But being born again is what makes the difference. Giving money to God in church, through your church, listen, that is good. But giving your heart to Jesus Christ is what makes the difference. Going to church is a good thing. 
But knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is what makes the difference in your eternity. Listen, you can be a Baptist, you can be a Methodist, you can be Lutheran, you can be Catholic, Presbyterian, you can even be a member of the Glenwood Baptist Church and still not be a true believer of Jesus Christ. Now, to some people, that may be, oh, a shocking thought. But it's true nonetheless. Remember, these five foolish bridesmaids, they were part of the same wedding party as the five wise bridesmaids. They were waiting at the bride's house. You see, church membership identifies you with a local church. But only, listen to me, true saving faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ makes you a member of God's eternal family. There is a difference between going to church, being religious, doing good things, and being a true believer, because you've been born again by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the first eternal lesson we learn from this story. The second lesson we learn is there is the impossibility of borrowed faith. There's the impossibility of borrowed faith. And what I mean by that is no one can give you salvation except God. And no person can get by on another person's faith. Listen, one of the most striking features of this story occurs when the foolish bridesmaids go to those wise bridesmaids and they ask them for some oil. We don't have any. Give us some of your oil. And, of course, their answer was what? No. Now, in our day and age, that was politically incorrect. No. Their refusal to share their oil, I mean, that's unchristian-like. Their refusal may seem selfish, it may seem unkind, unless you understand that Jesus is teaching us a spiritual lesson here. And that lesson is no one can borrow another person's faith. In other words, you can't get into heaven by living near, being near, being a close associate of a saved person who trusts in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Just consider this with me. One day, one day, all of us here this morning, we are going to stand before the Lord. And he's going to ask us something perhaps like this. Why, why, Bill, should I let you into my heaven? Why, Christian, should I let you into my heaven? Zach, why should I let you into my heaven? What answer are you going to give God? When you stand before Him, and he asked, Why, what right do you have to enter into my heaven? You might say, oh, my mother was a godly woman, man. I learned a lot from her, Lord. And the Lord will simply reply, I, I didn't ask about your mom. I asked about you. Or you might say to God, 
Look at my Sunday school teachers, Lord. Man, they went out of their way to teach me so much about your Bible and all the stories in the Bible. And Jesus will ask, but what about you? Or you might say, oh, my grandmother prayed for me all the time. Don't forget about her, Lord. And again, Jesus will reply, yes, your grandmother is with me in heaven because of her faith in me. But what about you? Listen, you can't borrow someone else's faith to enter into the kingdom of God. You don't go to heaven. You can't go to heaven hanging on someone else's coattail. Listen, your grandmother's faith will not save you. Your wife's faith will not save you. It will not be useful to you. And you will not be saved by the spiritual life of your mom or your dad or your child or whoever it may be. You must trust Jesus as your Savior on your own for yourself, not relying on the faith of those around you. And that's the second lesson we learned. These five foolish bridesmaids couldn't borrow the oil from the other five. Just as we can't borrow their faith. It's got to be the faith that God gives me to confess Jesus Christ as my own Lord and Savior. The third lesson we learn that we see from this story is there is such a thing as too late. There is such a thing as too late. The most solemn, sobering phrase in the whole story is found in verse 10. When Jesus says, and the door was shut. Some of your versions may have closed. The foolish bridesmaids forgot to bring extra oil. And then when the bridegroom arrived, they went out to buy some oil. But by the time they got back, the door was shut. It was too late. There's an awful finality about those words. It means that the door was shut, it was locked, and it would not be opened again, no matter what. Those on the inside were safely inside, and those on the outside could never get in, no matter how hard they tried. Listen to me. There's a, quote, door that leads to heaven, that leads to the kingdom of God. And it's the door of God's grace that is being held open by Jesus' death on the cross and His resurrection. For 2,000 years, that door has been open to the whole world and is even open today as I speak. And over the door, you could write the wonderful words of John 3.16. Do you know it? Do you remember it? For God so loved the world that He what? He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Listen, anyone, anywhere can go through that door and find forgiveness of sin. They can find new life in Jesus Christ. They can find salvation and eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ in His death and resurrection. Today, that door is open. But folks, let me tell you, this story reminds us that door will not be open forever. Notice this in your notes. The door of salvation is yes. It is open today. But that door will be shut once and for all when Jesus returns. No door stays open forever. 
Today the door of salvation is wide open. But also, listen to me, when you die, if you should die before Jesus returns, that door will also be shut once and for all. There is no second chance beyond death's door. Once you die, the door is shut forever. Either you go through the door while you are alive, or you will never go through it at all. Listen, don't be tempted to say, don't be tempted to think in your heart, oh, someday I'll enter through the door. Someday I will come to Jesus Christ. Listen, don't wait for, quote, someday, because someday may be too late. The Bible tells us today is the day of salvation. Which then brings us to the fourth eternal lesson. There is the danger of self-deception. There is the danger of self-deception. Do you remember how the story ends? What a sad scene it is. When the five foolish bridesmaids plead at the door, Oh, let us in, sir. You invited us. We're sorry we were late. We didn't realize you would be delayed. We thought we were ready. Please let us in. And from inside comes the solemn reply, I don't know you. I don't know you. Listen, the most important question that we can ask this morning, that we can contemplate in our own hearts this morning, the most important question here is this, are you ready? Are you ready to meet Jesus, the bridegroom, when He returns? Listen, many people will be left out of heaven because they simply thought they were ready. But in reality, Christ never knew them. Before we close, just consider with me one more time. One more time, consider with me these five foolish girls. They thought they were the bridegroom's friends. And they thought they were ready to meet him. But they weren't. These five foolish bridesmaids did nothing to be prepared. And that was their whole problem. And that is why they were shut out of the wedding banquet. Listen to me. By all outward appearance, they seemed ready to meet the bridegroom. Outwardly, the bridesmaids were all the same, but the difference was their preparation. And oh, the sad reality is, in the same way, many, quote, religious people will be tragically surprised when they stand before the Lord only to hear Him say, I never knew you. I never knew you. Can you imagine the sheer terror of that time? Can you imagine the sheer terror that will fill the hearts and minds of people who thought they were eternally secure merely because they said a prayer or because they did certain works on Jesus' behalf, or because they associated with His people by attending church. Only to have Jesus say to them, I never knew you. 
and then to be shut out of heaven for all eternity. Are you ready? Listen, Jesus is coming. He may be late. He may come sooner than we think, but Jesus is coming. And the question is, are you ready for His arrival? Are you prepared? You say, what does that mean to be ready? Listen, it's simple. Being ready means you have a changed heart because you have been born again by the Spirit. You have said, you know what, I'm a sinner. I recognize that. And on my own, there is nothing I can do to enter to the door of salvation into heaven. I cannot be a good enough person. I can't borrow somebody else's faith to enter in. I have to come to Christ all on my own. And because I believe, I trust, and I put my faith in you, Lord, of what you did on the cross, you paid the penalty for my sin. And then you rose again so that I can have new life in you. Listen, when you confess your sin to Christ and you ask for His forgiveness, and by faith you basically say to God, listen, I can't do this on my own. I can't, but I know you did it for me and I trust in your righteousness and your payment of penalty on the cross. I ask you to save me and give me eternal life. That's being ready. And the Bible tells us when we sincerely pray that and confess that, that we are born again by the Spirit. We have a new heart. We are changed from the inside out. That's being ready. And then, while we wait for Christ, we stay ready by living out what it means to be a true believer in Jesus Christ. You see, to say a prayer and then go on unchanged in your life is foolishness. There's no assurance in that. Why would you walk away and think, oh, I'm ready to meet Christ? So again, I ask you, are you ready? Have you been born again of the Spirit? Because you have placed your faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you. And by the power of His resurrection, that same power is what changes you. and gives you new life whereby you transfer from the kingdom of Satan, his family, into God's family now, where you can be eternally secure. You are part of the wedding party. You are the bride of Christ. You are waiting for him to return. And when he comes, the bridegroom, man, he will usher you in, and you are a part of that wedding party. You're part of the marriage supper. And let me tell you, it will be a wonderful, glorious thing. I can't wait for that day. But we've got to be ready. With your heads bowed. And as we think about this, man, I pray that God will tug at your heart. Because now is the time to make sure you are prepared to meet Christ. Today you can take that first step in getting ready for Christ's return. You can call out to Jesus in prayer to forgive you of your sins and by faith receive Him as your Savior and Lord. You're like, well, what do I pray? I don't, I don't know what to pray, Bruce. Listen, there's, 
I, I'll, I'll pray just a simple prayer. It's, it's a sample. But it's, there's no magic in these words and in the prayer because it must come from your heart. God must be working in you. He must be drawing you and you must repent and confess. And if He's doing that, here's a, a way that you can express that to God. Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I cannot save myself. I want to turn from my sins today and ask you to forgive me. And by faith, I accept your gift of salvation. I believe that you died for my sins and rose again on the third day. And I want to turn from my sins starting today. And I invite you to come into my heart and life. And I want to trust and follow you as my Savior and as the new leader in my life. Thank you for saving me and giving me eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, I pray and ask that as Zach sings and we take a moment to have a a course, a time of response where we can respond to you. I pray that each person here will examine their heart and do so in an honest-to-goodness way of evaluating whether they're ready and prepared to meet you. Lord, use this time and may your spirit work in us as need be. In your name we pray. Amen. Listen, let me, let me challenge you this morning. As Jesus has challenged us through this parable, as you drive home this morning to simply ask yourself, am I really ready? Am I prepared? If Jesus would come today, am I ready to meet Him? That's something we ought to do every week. Because the challenge from this parable is not only to get ready, folks. It's to stay ready as well. I want to invite you back next Sunday because we're going to learn another emphasis and another point that Jesus makes and what it means to stay ready as a believer in Jesus Christ while we wait and watch for His soon return. So don't miss next Sunday. I want to draw your attention before we receive our morning offering to just a a few announcements in the bulletin. In fact, they're all inserts. One is.